Hey, welcome to the Lyric House Church podcast. Our mission is to host a house for him. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our live service. Make sure to check out our Facebook page for details about upcoming events and information on our small groups that meet throughout the week. Thank you for being part of our broader community, and we hope you enjoy this podcast. Everybody knows that, right? Yeah. I mean, he practically looks like us. I mean, it's true. (laughs) You look like us, too. (laughs) Jacinda's his mama. Um, We always say thank you for Hayden to Jacinda. Uh, But we, Hayden and I were talking about it a couple months ago, and I don't even know how this got brought up, and I just said, hey, Hayden, when are you going to preach? And he was like, I'll do it next week, or something like that. I was like, okay, do it. And he was like, well, hold on. So um, he's not nervous at all because it's just family and we don't get nervous around here. And um, we are, are going to lay hands and pray for him. And I'm so proud. If, if I could handpick a husband for my Jade, it would have been Hayden. So um, we, <laughs> we love them and we're excited. Okay. All right. Who's leading it? Heavenly Father, Dad, we thank you for Hayden. Uh, we thank you that your Holy Spirit resides deep with inside of him. Dad, we thank you that um, he speaks uh, from uh, the love that you've outpoured upon him. Dad, he speaks from a place of um, victory, um, and he speaks from a place of triumph because he is your child. Um, I thank you that um, his heart is for you and his heart is for your people. And as he speaks, I thank you that you're going to speak through him. Uh, give him strength and peace um, as, he, um, as he brings forth your message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, if you don't know me, my name's Hayden. <laughs> I grew up in Pleasant Hill, which is about 30 minutes from here, f- for about 18 years. Um, I got engaged with my wife when I was a senior in high school, and then we got married there for uh, short after. Um, a little bit about me. Um, I grew up in a household with two mothers. Um, it's very unco- uncommon, which makes me a very uncommon person, praise God. And... Yeah, I think they did a did a pretty good job. Um, I have a, you know, I have the best experience of having a father because I only have a heavenly father, and there's no other better father than the one true father. Um, my wife is Jadalyn, and we had our baby, Miss River Joy. About how old is she? A little over three months. Well, three months old. (laughs) 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 Oh. I became a Christian probably, oh, when I was 12 years old, around there. And uh, went to youth group, not really knowing what it was. 
I actually, my friend says I did this. I don't think I did. I actually ended up bullying my friend who kept inviting me to church and then later on in life became one of my best friends. And yeah, I just love Jesus, love God, love the Holy Spirit. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, there's so much in that, and it's, you can unpack it, but even when you think you're unpacking it, you're really not unpacking it. So today, I, I felt the Lord want me to talk about these topics, and um, we're just going to dive right into it. So if you want to be like Jesus, then you have to forgive anything and everything Someone has done against you. When Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see our sins or our trespasses because he's forgiven them. The one time he could have been offended and not give forgiveness was when he was hanging on that cross when the Romans and even us, when we crucified him, he could have been like, Father, I don't know if I want to forgive him. But instead, he yelled out, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I don't think it's no surprise that one of the very last things Jesus did before he went to sit with the Father was ask forgiveness on behalf of those who were offending him. A study shows that unforgiveness can lead to chronic anger, changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune responses. These changes then produce the higher risk of depression and heart disease. Unforgiveness keeps the offense alive. Unforgiveness is actually really considered a weapon. It's one of the most powerful weapons the enemy likes to use against us. When we live, when we live with an unhealed wound, it produces fruit of bitterness, anger, and rage. So we can, if we can turn our Bibles to Matthew 18. Verses 21 through 35. <clears throat> this is the parable of the unforgiving debtor. Matthew 18, verse 21 through 35. Then Peter came to him, and came to Jesus, and he asked, Lord, how often shall I forgive someone who has sinned against me? Seven times? No. Not seven times. Not seven times, you silly little Peter. <laughs> seven times 70. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his uh, debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. 
He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Now, I was doing some research on how much exactly was owed. So in, in some footnotes, it talks about, um, or maybe even different versions of the Bible, it might say 10,000 talents. So 10,000 talents is roughly 375 tons of silver. And in today's market, silver by the pound is currently $273.91. Adding everything up in total, today it would be worth $205 million. Four hundred thirty-two thousand five hundred, and back then <coughs> they would pay their debt by work days. And today, he would have had to work sixty million days to pay off that debt. And then verse twenty-six says, "But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, and I'll pay it all.'" Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Could you imagine forgiving someone who owed you $205 million? I mean, we can barely forgive someone who owes us maybe $50, honestly. But then the man left the king and went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. This, his fellow servant, his debt compared to the other one was only a few weeks worth of work. And yet, the one who was forgiven much is not forgiving a little. And he grabs him and says, give me my money. 29 says, <clears throat> his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. There's a word in there right now. His creditor wouldn't wait. How often... Do we get so caught up in being rushed, rushed to not only be with the Lord, but to rush through the world? And in verse 30, it says, but the creditor wouldn't wait, and he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid off. I believe that this is the... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? The creditor. I believe it's the creditor way of locking up that offense in his heart until the debt is paid off. We as Christians... shouldn't carry offense. 
shouldn't carry unforgiveness. Instead, we should free, freely give forgiveness. Freely we have received, and so freely we give. Freely we have been forgiven, so freely we should forgive. Uh, there's some signs in here of unforgiveness I'm just, just going to share with you guys. Um, number one is I find myself holding grudges. <clears throat> I think all of us might deal with that daily, holding even the slightest grudge can impact your heart the most. The second one is I retreat into isolation from others. Personally, sometimes I just like that, not because of offense, but I like to stay in the dark in my room and just relax. Number three, I buried the wrongs done to me without really addressing them. Number four, instead of, instead of stating the truth, I make excuses for those who have hurt me or wronged me. Number five, when I get around someone who has hurt me, I tend to ignore them. And number six, I'm angry at God for allowing bad things to happen to me. All of these are lies from the enemy. The reason he wants you to feel these things is because he knows that if you feel the opposite, if you don't hold grudges, if you're not in isolation, if you don't bear the wrongs and you confront them, and you state the truth, and when you get around that one person that might have offended you, you're like, hey, man, how's it going? Bless you, man. If you feel those things, the enemy is crushed. He has no power. He walks around like a lion, but he's a toothless lion. But in the key of forgiveness, there's a debt. Forgiveness is necessary when we have been violated in one way or another. There is debt to be paid. A debt before reconciliation or restoration can take place. The debt can be emotional, relational, financial, or physical. It may even result in a way of betrayal. In order to forgive, we must determine that we will pay the debt, thereby releasing the offender from their obligation to us. If we do that, then we cannot expect the offender to settle the debt for us. We are willing to pay the cost. This is exactly what Jesus did when he released us from having to pay the debt for our sins or violations we committed against him in Luke 748. <clears throat> then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven.
So I want you guys to picture this. Imagine living with one hand, with one of your hands tied behind your back with a strong cord. Hooked up to a big wheelbarrow full of concrete. You have to push that thing around you everywhere you go. I don't know why it sounded like that. You have to push that thing everywhere you go. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? One hand tied behind your back, pushing a wheelbarrow full of concrete. <laughs> Have you done that, Dakota? Can you testify? <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. And when that tips over, it just ends up getting everywhere. The unforgiveness was once contained in the wheelbarrow, but as soon as you start as start as soon as you start walking with it one handed, it tips over and it gets everywhere. You walk in it, you might slip and fall into it. Others might slip and fall into it. Yet this is a reasonable picture of the spiritual burden unforgiveness imposes. Forgiving means taking a sword of love, grace, and mercy of the blood of Jesus and cut that cord, dropping the load. Forgiving is not ignoring what has happened to you. It is entrusting that Jesus has it and he will take care of it. And trust yourself in the offender or the offending situation to God while you are literally cut loose the load of unforgiveness toward the debt or debtor you've been carrying. You are free. Unforgiveness is one of the cornerstones of Satan's kingdom and opens the door to a host of other evils. There's a positive, there's always a negative. There's a kingdom of God, but we cannot forget that there's also a kingdom of the enemy. And our goal is to take that cornerstone and toss it, toss into the lake of fire. The ability to forgive is based on love. That's not from this world. Forgiveness is driven by love. Jesus often talked about forgiveness with his disciples. And he knew it was essential for them. And for them to learn and practice into it. Jesus is our supreme example. He had every right and reason to withhold forgiveness, yet instead he chose to offer it freely. 
Matthew 6, 14 through 15. It says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's no way around this. Either we forgive those who have sinned against us and our Father forgives us or we don't forgive those and He doesn't forgive us. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. Forgiveness does not condone the wrong or hurtful action but it grows out of love and flows out of humility. We are to forgive and release the offenders or the offense to God, who alone is the ultimate judge for all of us. There's this man named John Patton. He was a uh, missionary born in Scotland. And... By the age of 12, he devoted himself to study to study Lat- the Latin and Greek for the original text of the Bible, and then would eventually go to the New Hebrides Islands and uh, Tana. But before that, he had to talk to uh, his church elders, and this Uh, I'm just reading this uh, manuscript, and it says, Against the arguments of his pastors who tried to convince him not to go, John said, I don't recommend you say this to Jason or Tiffany, unless if you really want to, it might be funny, but John said, It will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals on this island, or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrected body will rise fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. When Patton finally uh, received his external call at the age of 35 and landed in the region of the New Hebrides Islands in 1859, He was quickly stunned by dreadful loss. He ended up losing his first wife to a fever, and their newborn son, Peter, who would then die three weeks after his birth with the same fever. When John made his grave by their hut they had on the island, there would be nights What you text me, you threw me off. <laughs> Sorry, Jason sent me a text when he should be listening. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. Okay. I was like, I've never heard of that movie, but 
So there would be nights after John would bury his wife and his son that the different tribes on this island would try to go to their grave and dig up their bodies and take them from John. Patton stayed on the island for a little while longer. And then he ended up leaving, and he went to another island called Tana, where the focus of his ministry was the Sabbath day worship. The culture valued deception and taboos, and practiced arson, witchcraft, and a marked degradation of women on this island. Tribal wars were followed by revenge and ritual human sacrifice and cannibalism. The first martyr of John's ministry was a native who gave his life to Christ, who his dying breath prayed for the sake of Jesus, forgive them, for they not know what they are doing. Take not away thy worship from this dark island. Jesus' forgiveness has no bounds, so why should ours? John had to give endless forgiveness time after time after time after time and very, very terrible situations. But because he gave forgiveness, one of the results of this was the whole island ended up giving their lives to Jesus. And one day, he was asking the leader of the tribe who was now a Christian, he was like, that one night when you guys came to my hut and you were going to go and kill me, why didn't you? And the tribe leader said, who are those men with swords of fire and shiny bright armor in and around your hut? I believe in that very moment, John had cultivated an unoffendable heart. And so can we. Cultivating an unfindable heart creates a lifestyle of grace towards others and has a heart of forgiveness lived outward. I feel like the church in general, not just Lyric, but all the church, the body of Christ, has been, too, has been doing too much of this, too much of that. Too much of receiving. Gone are the days of just receiving. Not only do you need to receive, but then you need to digest and give out. We have set ourselves as the standard of what is right and good and what must be honored. Any perceived challenge or absorption results in anger, resentment, and taking up of an offense. 
But praise God, we are not the true standard. He is. Because he is the ultimate standard for our lives and our lifestyles. Because only he can see into the hearts and discern the motives of each of us. We can be free to assume the best of others, trusting that he would judge perfectly in the end. We can have the good sense to be slow to anger. And when we and we can become gloriously unoffendable. Paul perfectly gives us this example in Ephesians 4:32. Where he says, instead, let's read before that. Let's read verse 31. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. As well as all types of evil behavior. But instead, be kind to each other. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I'm going to read this article. Um, this article was uh, from the World War II era, and it's this lady named. Uh, Corey, her name was Corey Boom, and her and her sister were put into concentration camps in Ravensbrück, or Ravensbrück, where they saw and were subjected to the Holocaust. It says it was it was in a church and I'm not going to pronounce this town right. Uh, Munich, Munich, Munich. That I saw him. A balding, heavy set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing, filing out of the basement room. Where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come home from Holland to, to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. 
One moment I saw the overcoat and brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. That huge room with its hard overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy, how thin you were. The place was Ravensbrook. Ravensbrook. And the man who was making his way forward had been a guard of one of the most cruel guards. I would recognize him anywhere. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message you brought. How good is it to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Now I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He could not remember me. Of course, how could he remember me? One prisoner among ten thousands of women. But I remembered him. And that leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors. My blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook. In your talk, he was saying, I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, I became a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me of the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? I stood there. I, <coughs> whose sins had again and again needed to be forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there and held out to me. It seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I've ever done. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message was God forgives those who have injured us. I knew it was not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for the victims of uh, Nazi brutality who were able to forgive their former enemies and were able to also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter the physical scars. Those who nursed their, their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple, as horrible as that. And still stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. 
I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You simply supply the field. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and former prisoner. I've never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized that it was not my love. I have tried. It did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit transforming me in God's love. It's crazy to think that this once Holocaust prisoner (coughs) ended up forgiving the one that killed her sister forgave. And yet, we hold on to a fence of anything. You can fill in the blank. What is something that you've been offended by that in the Lord's eye is just so little? That's a real good one. You didn't get a text back. So we're going to go through a this quick little exercise that I think is going to not only impact me, but impact you as well. So the best way to put it is it's called the four R's. <laughs> James knows this very well. The first R is repent. The repent of sin, unforgiveness, bitterness, anything like that. The second R is receive. The third is rebuke, and the fourth is replace. So if everyone can close their eyes real quick, I just want to run through this with you guys. And it's going to be up to you to fill in the blank of who you need to forgive. It can be a teacher. It could be a father, a mother, a brother or sister, even your own kids. So, Father, we repent right now of the sin 
of unforgiveness. We release forgiveness to those who have offended us. Jesus, we receive your forgiveness. Holy Spirit, would you magnify this gift that you've given us? And Father, we rebuke the enemy. We rebuke any type of influence that he has in our life right now, Jesus. There's only room for one influence, and it's you. So, Father, right now we rebuke anything the enemy has thrown at us. We rebuke the thought of the person who might have offended us, the thought of it being personal, when truly we know it's just the enemy. And Father, we replace that influence, those thoughts, unforgiveness, with the spirit of forgiveness, with the spirit of trust. Trusting that you're going to handle the situation. Trust that you're going to handle the offense or the offender. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you just magnify your presence right now. That you would make our hearts tender before you. We're here for you. Not for anything else. No worldly desire. We're here simply for you, Jesus. We ask that you come right now, Holy Spirit. Come into our minds. Come into our hearts. Come into our desires. It's okay to be desperate for the Lord. It's okay to desire the things that the Lord desires. I just want to take a moment right now. Um, we're just going to listen to the Spirit and just hear what He wants us uh, not to only do, but um, we're just going to hear from Him for like two minutes. If you have a prayer language, I encourage you to pray in that language. And if you don't, you can simply just hum.
just let the Lord cut you. Let him cut you. Father, I thank you that burdens are being lifted off right now. We thank you that your burden is light. It's literally light. Holy Spirit, thank you for making us tender. I feel like I hear the Lord saying, um, I just keep hearing this resounding. Go back to the last thing that I told you to do. What was it? What did he speak? What did he say? What did he ask of you? feel like he's in the sense of waiting, waiting for that to happen. Everyone, just stick your hands out right now. Keep your eyes locked on him. He's too beautiful to be distracted and not to look at him. I feel like some of us are wanting a fresh touch of God. And he wants to give that to us. So, Father, we receive your fresh touch on us. Father, we receive your endless joy. We receive your love.
Holy Spirit, just touch us right now. Touch those who are desiring you, Lord. Just whisper to him. Just give him adoration. God, just whisper to him. Magnify right now, Holy Spirit. Some of you holding back, just let go. Give your body to Him. There's no need to hold back when he doesn't hold back. Yeah, so I just, I want you guys to stay in this posture. I want you to keep your eyes focused on the Lord. If it's uncomfortable to you, just let him move. Maybe he's trying to show you something. Maybe he's trying to take himself out of the box that we try to put him in. And I feel like there's this, um, just this resounding, a word from him that we can hold on to physical pain, physical ailments in our body through unforgiveness. We've seen it over, like literally physically seen it. And so if that's you today, if there, if you're in physical pain, if there's, uh, maybe you have pain in your back, maybe it's even a disease or a condition, let the Lord take that. Freely he gives, so freely give him your, your offense, your unforgiveness. Listen, forgiveness doesn't mean that they didn't do it. It doesn't mean that they get off the hook. Forgiveness is for you, for the Lord. If you're ready to be healed today, <coughs> sit at his feet. Thank him in advance. And just let go.
that's you, you can stay in your seat. Just raise your hand. Father, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness. We thank you that it's your will to heal us. It's your will to forgive those who might offend us. All pain goes right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. you guys to stay in this posture we're going to bring up communion what better way to get ready to start the new year than to to partake in his body and in his blood You guys just keep just talking to him. Just keep whispering to him. Verse 17, it says, Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I will I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And he broke into the pieces and gave it up to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. He he gives thanks to the Father. Thanks that it's his blood and that it's his body 
He's saying, thank you, Father, that you sent me to cover, to cover the cost for everybody. There's no greater honor. Daily, we need to take his blood and share it with others. Daily, do we need to take his body and share it with others. Jesus is a gentleman. He loves to invite invite those who want to come closer. He's inviting you to not only take part of his blood and of his body, but to sit at a table with him. The cross of Christ is our invitation to his table. Where at the table we find new life. We find new purpose. We find new destiny, a new hope. And it all has a name, and the name is Yeshua. There's a seat at this table for you. The seat was paid for by the blood of Christ and by his body. It's only through him and his obedience that we have access to the Father. So when you're ready, just row by row, you can come up and grab a piece of bread and a, and a cup. But when you come up here, act as though you're coming to meet Christ and you're saying to him, Jesus, thank you for that seat. We'll just have the first row come up. Grab it, sit back down, and we'll do it together. Then this row wants to come up, grab it, and we'll do it together. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, as Hayden was preaching, I started to type a lot of stuff down. 
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Lyric House Church podcast. We hope this message blessed you, and we encourage you to share with your family and friends. Remember, the gospel is good news, and good news is worth sharing. If you want to get involved or see what's happening next, make sure to follow us on social media. Until next week, we love you and God bless.